We're in the third week of six weeks of orange, knowing what it means to have the Holy Spirit move in you, to redirect your eyes upward, and then to thrust you out into ministry. And here we are this morning looking at John the Baptist. Last week it was the shepherds. Week before it was Pentecost. Next week it's the call of the disciples. And then the next couple of weeks, Zacchaeus is in there, and I'm not sure, somebody else. So, we'll, uh, let's dig into Mark chapter 1. Each one of uh, the synoptic gospel writers, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record uh, the story of John the Baptist, but Mark does it in his brief way, as is his custom. Beginning in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased." The old man was walking down the road with his dog on one side of him and his mule on the other, and all at once a pickup truck filled with bricks careened around the corner, forcing the man, his dog, and his mule into a ditch. Fortunately, the old man had presence of mind to get the license number, so he sued the man for damages. When they get to court, the defense attorney stands up and comes up to the stand where the man is seated and he says, listen to me, sir. I've got just one question for you and I want you to answer yes or no. Do you understand? The old man said, yep. The defense attorney said, didn't you say at the time you were perfectly fine? The old man sat up in his chair and said, Well, me and my dog and my mule, we was walking down the road. The defense attorney stopped him and said, Listen, I told you to answer yes or no. Do you understand? The man said yes. He said, Didn't you say that you were perfectly fine at the scene of the accident? The man leaned back in his chair and said, My dog and my mule and I, we was walking down the road. The attorney stopped and said, Sir, I ask you a yes or no question. At that point, the judge stepped in and said, Let the man speak. He obviously has something to tell us. 
The old man said, well, me and my dog and my mule, we was walking down the road. When all at once this truck full of brick came around the corner and forced us into the ditch. When the driver got out of the truck, he come over and see my dog all bloodied and ready to die. He went back to his truck, got a rifle and shot him dead. Then he looked at my mule that had a broken leg and he shot him too. Then he said to me, are you okay? I said, I'm perfectly fine. (laughs) General George Marshall was an American statesman, soldier, hero. Winston Churchill called him the organizer of victory for the Allies in World War II. Marshall was a man of great intellectual acumen. He was a man who could handle people. And so one time a reporter asked him, Sir, what advice could you give to me and anyone else about handling people? He said, well, there are three things you need to remember. The first thing you need to know is you need to listen to their story. Second thing you need to know is you need to listen to their full story. The third thing you need to know is you need to listen to their full story first. There's a talk radio show or station in this city that has a great catch line. It says, you must listen to talk. And that's what we see John the Baptist doing. Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me, but where does that happen most? Happens in silence. I mean, you think of the word silence, six letters, the same six letters in the word listen. Without silence, it's hard to get the full story. And it's interesting to note that before John the Baptist moves, he listens. And before he listens, he gets in a place of silence. And that's where the in occurs. That's where the up occurs. And that propels him out. So let's look at him. First of all, notice, if you will, the in. Look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Now, who's the Lord talking to here? Who's he talking to? He will go before your face. He will prepare your way. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Son of God. He's talking to the one who is to come to fulfill all of the requirements of the law, to fulfill all of the dreams and the hopes of every prophet. And he says this, the Father does, to his own Son, before I move you, I will send a messenger to prepare your way. Now there are two inescapable truths about a messenger. First, the messenger has to receive the message. And then secondly, the messenger has to deliver the message. When I worked in Washington, uh, D.C., one of my favorite congressmen was Mo Udall. Would pass him frequently in the halls. 
This was before 9-11. You know what Mo Udall used to do of Arizona? He used to always ride the public elevators. One time a friend said, why do you ride the elevators with the public? And Mo Udall laughed and he said, because I want to hear what they say about me. It's very insightful. Sometimes they're very convincing. Sometimes I almost believe what they say about me, but then I tell my wife and she always says the same thing. Mo, if that were true, I would have killed you a long time ago. You know, there are always people that think they know you. They think they know what you think. They think they know your motives. They think they know why you do what you do. John the Baptist got that a lot. I mean, think about this guy. He's the son of a priest. You couldn't be a priest in Israel unless you were the son of a priest, but in John's case, he's the son of a priest. And his mother is from the priestly line. He's born under extraordinary circumstances like Isaac. His mother conceives him in her old age. He's a lot like Jeremiah. The Lord consecrates him before he's born. He's a lot like Jesus. His birth, his conception and birth are foretold by an angel. And just like Jesus, there's scant information on his early years. The most detailed account of young John the Baptist is what Luke tells us. It says he grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In fact, Mark tells us in just a couple of verses, he uses the word wilderness twice. He lived in the wilderness before he became the forerunner to the Messiah. He was in the wilderness. I mean, think of it. Here's a priest of Israel that you never see in Jerusalem. Here's a priest that you never see sacrificing in the temple. Here's a priest who never occupies the priestly ranks in Jerusalem. He's never in the city. He's in the wilderness until the day that he emerges from the wilderness and then he stays there. Do you ever think about the richness of the wilderness in Israel? It's where the angel meets Moses and calls him to let God's people go. It's the place where Moses receives the law. It's the place where Moses receives his call. It's the place where David finds refuge. It's the place where Elijah flees for security. It's the place where the shepherds are tending their sheep. And throughout the history of Israel is the wilderness where the Lord takes His people to reveal their future. In fact, it's the place to which God delivers His people. And it's in the wilderness that God speaks to John the Baptist. Somebody has said, in silence we learn to rely on God's sovereignty. In silence and solitude, God's power emerges. George Whitfield once wrote, God was pleased to pour into my soul a great spirit of prayer. He filled me with such love, humility, and holy confusion that I could only at last pour out my heart to Him in silence. I was so full, I could not speak. You know, Mark tells us as soon as Jesus is baptized... 
the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Why? So that he there could be alone with his father. So there in the wilderness, he could gain the strength that he would need to overcome the temptations of Satan. I love the story about the man who goes to Thomas Merton, his spiritual director. And he says to him, it didn't work. I did what you said. I went away. I spent some time with God, but I heard nothing. Merton said to him, tell me more. The man said, I did what you said. I went away. I took with me the writings of Augustine and the sermons of Luther and the miscellany of Edwards, and I went away and I heard nothing. Merton smiled and said, I told you to go away alone. Instead, you took three men with you. You know, people ask the question all the time, how do you hear from God? How do you hear God's voice? How do you know His voice? It all begins with ridding yourself of distractions. That's why in the wilderness, His voice is so clearly heard. The wilderness is the, where the inn is confirmed. That radio station is right. You have to listen to talk. I can't tell you the number of people I meet and talk to almost every week who are in crisis. Sometimes they're angry with God. They want to hear what God has to say, but there are voices all around them, and the greatest voice they hear is their own. John the Baptist gets into the wilderness, and that's where he listens, and that's where he hears. Second, notice the up. Look at verse 7. John the Baptist preached saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know, when the Beatles came to this country for the first time in 1964, they had two venues that launched them into incredible stratospheres of fame. One was Shea Stadium. The other was Ed Sullivan. Now, you have to have some years on you to know Ed Sullivan. <laughs> In fact, some of you under 30 only know Ed Sullivan. If you knew, know anything about him, it's because David Letterman occupied his theater for 30 years. But between 1948 and 1971, Ed Sullivan had the most popular television show at that time. It was said that if you really wanted to make it big, you had to go on Ed Sullivan's show. So on Sunday night, Ed Sullivan would get the greatest acts from around the country and the world. Someone once asked Ed Sullivan, why are you so famous? Why are you so successful? He said, that's easy. I'm a pointer. I find great talent and I point to it. That's what John the Baptist did. Think of it. Every time you see him, he's pointing to Jesus. Even in his doubt, he points to Jesus. So I ask you, where did he get his information? How does he know that Jesus is the one that Isaiah is speaking of? 
How does he know that God is now ready to end his 400 years of silence? How does he know that he is the fulcrum, the turning point of human history? How does he know that the old covenant is passing away? It's going to be fulfilled by this one named Jesus. How does he know any of that? He didn't learn that in school. He didn't learn that from another priest. He learned that in the wilderness where he listened. There in the wilderness it sinks in. It takes deep root. And then he begins to speak. And every time he speaks, he speaks God's Word. It's called the preacher's prayer, but it applies to people that don't preach. It applies to every Christian. It goes like this. I don't ask for crowds or standing room at any price. I only ask that when I speak, that people see Christ. I don't ask for churchly pomp or music that only the wealthy can buy. All I ask is that when I speak, Christ would draw nigh. I don't ask for human praise or headlines to spread my name abroad. All I ask is when I speak, their ears may be tuned to God. I don't ask for earthly fame or distinction of any part. All I ask is that when I speak, they come to know the Savior's heart. In the wilderness, in silence, in solitude, that's where John the Baptist hears. And when he emerges from the wilderness, he's looking up. And he's pointing to the one who is the consolation of Israel. And then third, finally, notice the out. Look at verse 10. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now notice the Trinity here. You have the Father speak. You have the Holy Spirit descend. And then you have the Son of God who is being baptized. Every one of the three gospel writers, the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all tell this story. But only Luke says that the heavens were torn apart. He's the only one that says that. The others say the heavens open, but he says the, the heavens were ripped apart. It's one of the strongest Greek words there is. It means to tear with force. So why does Mark tell us this? Why does Mark tell us this and Matthew doesn't and Luke doesn't? The answer is he, his time in the wilderness was spent listening to the word of the Lord. And part of that word was what God said through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64 Isaiah is pleading with the Lord and he says, O oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Why is he saying that to the Lord? Why does Isaiah want the Lord to rend the heavens, tear them apart and come down? Because he wants God to judge the sinners. He wants God to kick butt. He wants God after 700 years. He's prophesied that God will do that. He will come down. He'll rip the heavens open. He'll come down. But notice, when He comes down, He does something different than what Isaiah had pleaded for. Isaiah wants the Lord to judge sinners. 
Instead, the Lord will come and judge himself. Instead of exacting a payment from us, he'll exact it from himself. Instead of slaying the sinner, he himself will be slain. He will be bound so that we might be set free. Did you hear about the guy who got a hearing aid and he was bragging to his friend? He said, this hearing aid is the best in the business. The man said, really? What kind is it? He said, 230. Did you hear that? (laughs) You know, some have wondered why after months John the Baptist doubts. Some have wondered why, how could it be that John the Baptist who's heard the voice of God, who has preached the Word of God, how could John the Baptist send his disciples to Jesus? with the question, are you really the one? Are you the one who is to come or should we go looking for another? I'll tell you why. He's no longer in the wilderness. He's in a jail with voices all around him. Can't you hear him in that jail say, wait a minute, he didn't bring judgment, he brought mercy. He doesn't act like I think he should act. What does, John, what does Jesus tell John's disciples? You go back and you tell John what you see and hear. The blind see. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them. You see, just because he listened in the wilderness, just because he proclaimed Jesus' truth and identity, doesn't mean that he's immune to doubt. Because we all can have our lives crowded with the voices, including our own. Just because there's been an in in your life, and an up in your life, and an out in your life, doesn't mean that you don't continually need to get to the quiet place, to the place of solitude and silence, Primarily to rid yourself of you. Luther's right. The Bible is alive. It speaks to us. It has feet to run after us. It has hands that lay hold of us. If we slow down, get alone, and listen. And when we do, you know what will always happen? Always it will happen. You will get focused on Jesus. He'll move you. He'll move you first and always toward Him. Think about that. Amen.